New York Times critic Vincent Canby said that this film looks as if it might have achieved its fairly modest goals had the people making it spent just 15 more minutes thinking about what they were doing. Jason Bailey of Flavorwire calls it a very hard movie to hate. And Letterboxd user No Personality says, to all the naysayers and cynics, it's actually funny. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, the final episode of January, our month-long celebration of the films of Jan de Bont, we decide the fate of Who's That Girl? Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Kianes Estanina. Oh, who is that girl? Who is that girl indeed? Dan, how's it going? Everybody, welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I have to apologize. My dogs are activated and they are squeaking on squeaky toys behind me, so... That's what that is. Yeah. Yes. Welcome, Starfighters. It is Ruined Childhood's time when we listen to John's dogs play with toys. Only on this episode. Well, no, rarely. So yeah. It is a rare. Yeah. It is a rare day. For I those, try to edit stuff out. This is a also a rare daytime recording for us. Last minute, I have been going through a move. Things are chaotic. So uh, we've been, we're just trying to sneak it in as we can. And uh, here we are doing Who's That Girl on Ruined Childhoods. And we're going to, and we're going to like, I I think that cutting to the chase is pretty appropriate for (laughs) talking about this. That's what this movie does so frequently. (laughs) But, but, but uh, as we're doing that important to note that this, that this is our last episode of January. Our celebration of the of direction and cinematography of Jan de Bont, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, he was the cinematographer on Who's That Girl? The director of it, James Foley, is probably best known as the director of 1992's Glengarry Glen Ross. Right. Yeah. So, right. Uh, but mm-hmm. Jan, Jan de Bont uh, definitely brings his. His style to this movie. There's yeah. there's chases. We've talked about how the the Debont camera cannot be restrained or contained. I not in that accent particularly. Jan Debont thrives when he, he's outside. When he's outside, or when he's or when he can move about inside. Point of reference: Die Hard. Right, cinematographer on Die Hard, uh, director for Speed and. Twister, two movies that we covered, one of which was in January. Check it out a couple weeks ago. And yeah, uh, Who's That Girl is a very fascinating, I'd call it kind of a, a bit of a cult classic. And I definitely remember watching it a lot when I was a kid. There were so many things that happened in this movie where I was like, oh my God, I forgot like tricks, you know, like, yes, yeah, yes, that was it. That was, I mean, yeah, there were several occasions, but that was really the one where I'm like, I remember us and particularly like I was 10 or just about 10 when that movie came out. And by the time it was on HBO would have been 10. But I remember like you and and our brother Scott, who are younger than me, repeating Mm -hmm. that part. And it is it's got that silly appeal, that cartoonish appeal. Right. Uh. 
why don't we do a synopsis and uh, then we'll we'll really dig into this a little bit. All right, you ready, Dan? I've been ready for days. <laughs> So yeah, excited. sorry, I've been busy. No, 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 I'm sorry. It's, it's you're not the look. You're not I the know, only one. You're I not know. the only one around. You know, it's it's you know, life is crazy these days. So, Life's you know, crazy, and man. It, you know, it, it feels like we're all metaphorically, uh, you know, running around in a in a uh, you Rolls know Royce. Co- in a convertible with a with a tiger in a cage in the back seat and a and a recently freed uh, ex convict all right uh, well just calling hey, the shots doing so. the synopsis is my job dan so thank <laughs> you very much okay on the day before his wedding to his wealthy boss's daughter uptight attorney Loudon trot is tasked by his future father-in-law to transport a newly paroled ex-con named nikki finn from prison to the bus station what Loudon doesn't expect is that this woman is a complete wild card with ulterior motives and a love for tricks to further complicate things, in Loudon's future mother-in-law's Rolls Royce, he is also couriering an endangered exotic feline to his wealthiest client, but it's hard to say which of Loudon's passengers is the wildest. As their antics take them all over New York City, we meet a series of colorful characters, including the two undercover cops who suspect that Nikki wasn't actually guilty and is going to lead them to the person responsible for her crimes. And you know what? They're exactly right. But what Loudon doesn't expect from Nikki's antics and his crazy day is that his fiance is a bad fit, and Nikki just might be the round hole that fits his square peg. <laughs> wow. <What? laughs> no, just a lot of innuendo to dig in there. At, uh, you know what, Dan? Yeah. Sometimes doing these synopses can get kind of boring. <laughs> I, I, no, no, no. I get it, and and it it definitely it definitely fits. So, all right. So this movie comes out uh, shortly after Griffin Dunn, who plays Loudon Trot. Uh, you know, did After Hours with Martin Scorsese, which we talked about in the last episode. And also in the last episode, we you had asked me if I had seen The King of Comedy, to which I had said, you know, no, I haven't. I corrected that. I watched it this past week, and uh, it is a truly bizarre movie. It's definitely one of my, uh, it's towards the top of my Martin Scorsese list, but After Hours is definitely my favorite. And you can kind of tell that, like, there is probably the idea to cast Griffin Dunn because you can, because he can do this whole, like, almost feeling like it's in real time you know, starting something in a pretty regular way to taking it to a very extreme by the end and seeing the way that he performs the role along the way. And, uh, you know, it's when watching movies like this that take place over a short period of time where the, you know, the the main character goes through this, like, huge psychological change, like this life-defining day in in their life. Uh, you know, you you watch these movies and it's hard to remember sometimes that like these aren't shot in order most of the time. So it's like to right. access those points uh, of mania for him, uh, you know, out of order are, you know, that's a that's quite an accomplishment. So uh, big ups to Griffin Dunn for his portrayal of Loudon Trap, but also in his uh, 
in his role in After Hours for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, and no coincidence that he was cast again. I mean, same studio back when that meant something. Yeah. And I mean, of course, this was not Martin Scorsese. I believe had no involvement in in Who's oh, That Girl. Yeah, but uh, Griffin Dunn's casting is uh, is pretty spot on, especially if you'd seen After Hours. After Hours, let him see. Let, you know, he's doing something similar. It's not quite the same. There's Definitely no. more complexity in in after hours. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but he's still he's more still, intrigue. Yeah, he's still this you know the the square peg who's right. trying to. Uh, and there were a lot of these uh, movies in in the eighties, and of course he's playing opposite Madonna, yeah. who 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 this was the third film I think into her film career. After okay. desperately seeking Susan, right. which was a big success, and Shanghai Surprise, which was not. Uh, uh-huh. In fact, I believe Sean Penn was originally going to play opposite her in Who's That Girl, and then right. I heard and, that he was also being considered to play one of the cops. Oh, uh, maybe that was maybe that was. I just remember reading that they were considering him, and then Shanghai yeah. Surprise didn't work. But right, so you've got Madonna, uh, who by the uh, like according to all reports was uh, not just very involved with the production, but really wanted to learn and really wanted to take advantage of this as an opportunity to learn more about filmmaking and be much more involved. I mean, she's the one who determined the the name of the film, which was not. Uh, it was it was something. It, what was it going to be called? Slammer? S- Slammer, yeah. So the script originally, uh, you know, it was called Slammer. And it kind of had the very bare bones of the story. And uh, I listened to an interview with the, the original screenwriter who was just like, this is not the movie I wrote. <laughs> you know, it was still like a, uh, you know, guy has to transport XCON to bus station, things go awry kind of a story. But there was no tiger. There was none of that kind of stuff. It was well, it, that's such it, it a definitely classic. was added, you know, for comedy and and also it was like when once Madonna became involved, it became way more cartoonish, which literally <laughs> this is how the movie starts. Which man, just another great uh, example of animated eighties opening credits. Oh, gotta love them! Gotta love them! Fantastic, and it sets up what I love about these opening credits is they they set up they give you a lot of the exposition that later we get more detail on. Right when Nikki's because 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 in this movie Griffin Dunn is the Eleniac. He is the character yeah. who needs things explained to him so that the we Eleniac, all get what's yeah. going on. Right, and I mean it's. Even though this movie completely bombed at the box office and is not regarded as a very good movie, I and maybe it's just because like I happened to watch it at the right time in my childhood where this wild character that Madonna plays, uh, you know, appeals to and it's not even like Madonna as the like sex symbol that she was known to be or anything like that. This is just like this really wacky person who's very funny, 
Well, and in fact, it made me think of, and I'm watching it. And by the way, I I have nothing but praise for Madonna in this movie. And I too, I, I one of the things that I was wondering about was I, I was like, gee, I wonder if John is going to have that same nostalgia factor being five years younger. Oh yeah, I was when it was on, but like, yeah, and I don't know. It was funny because one of the reviews, as I was combing through reviews for the for the uh-huh. intro uh, on on Letterbox, was just like is it really good or do I just love Madonna that much? And I was kind of asking myself the same thing. I was like, is it it really like, cause I'm really enjoying, I really enjoyed watching it. It was the first time I'd seen it in a while, but it also, as I'm watching her performance and thinking like, Oh, she's really good in this. I couldn't help thinking that the persona kind of like the public persona of another eighties pop star would have fit the role better. And it made me think of Cindy Lauper, which then yes. made me think of vibes and kind of the similarities there of the kind of uptight guy, the uptight male lead who finds the, you know, Yang to his yin and in this wacky out there, uh, female, I haven't seen vibes and I think it's been longer since that I've seen vibes since the last time I saw who's that girl. But did you have a conversation about this movie and vibes with our brother, Scott, by any <laughs> chance? Well, only that I brought it up to him that, that I you was brought like... it up to him. Okay. So did he mention to you okay, the conversation he did. that he, he and I had? Okay. So did. what happened was when I was, he asked me what we were doing next on the show. <laughs> and I said, Oh, we're doing uh, Who's That Girl, the movie um, with, you know, it's with Madonna. And he's like, is that the one? Is there some sort of like psychic or like supernatural thing? And I was like, huh, no. And then I was like, are you thinking of vibes? And he's like, yes, I was thinking of vibes. And then he was like, is, uh, okay, is that the one? Is is Jeff Goldblum in it? And I was like, that was vibes. You're thinking of vibes. Also vibes. <laughs> yeah, also, also vibes. vibes. Yeah, so he was. it was kind of uh, a funny moment where I could follow his his line of thinking exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, get down right to the root of it. So anyway. He mentioned that, but that was, it was almost independent of my, like, my, my watching it and thinking, like, man, like, how many other movies were there that were really that were really like this and i thought about like just 80s romantic comedies well something wild kind of i mean i haven't seen that one in a long time either but right and i guess you know if we're thinking about this era in filmmaking especially this like kind of romantic comedy uh type of thing we we've we do get a lot of you know this is a time where there's a lot of rock stars and musicians crossing over into other, you know, forms of media. And I know that it happens, it happens a lot, but like, this I believe was a we time covered where... Love Me Tender. Right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it was like, this was like another moment where it kind of like boosted a little bit. And, you know, we talked about uh, John Bon Jovi in Young Guns too, and you know it's like there's this this surge of musicians who just are, are clamoring to get in front of a camera. Right. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of a lot of that more so in in the eighties that you know you yeah. think about the seventies and there's you know David Bowie and Mick Jagger right. and I mean I'm Paul Simon uh, and a lot of other uh, pop stars do Diana Ross. 
yeah. even Michael Jackson uh, with the Wiz. Right. But, you know, yeah, but but yes, in the 80s, it was really like a and and for a studio like Warner Brothers, which also had Madonna on their record label. Right. It was just such a, a no brainer. It was a marketing. Yeah. Marketing no brainer, really. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and by the way, that the song, I mean, the soundtrack is I had the soundtrack on cassette. Right. And I did not shoplift it from the the Sam Goody or Musicland in in the mall. No, you did not. But Dan, that leads me to something else that I <laughs> wasn't going to bring up, but now I am. Uh, one thing that you did shoplift from a oh, local yeah. uh, establishment was Meatloaf's "Bad Out of Hell" too. Oh, we jumped. You know, we Pour cut straight one to the chase. The yeah. loaf. Yeah. Uh, Yes. You know, I I wasn't even going to bring it up. I, I had completely forgotten, but you had mentioned shoplifting from Sam Goody. It also came up with Scott. So, <laughs> uh, in, in in a different in a different context, but you know, it's 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 okay. I think the statute of limitations on that has passed and Yeah. But yes, no, back in my my days 30 years ago as a local uh CD thief, uh Bad Out of Hell <laughs> was was one of my conquests. I and thought it was Bad Out of Hell too. Was it just Bad Out of Hell? It was the the original Bad Out oh, of Hell. Oh, it was the original. Yes, okay. Bad Out of Hell 2 I ordered through the BMG. Oh boy. Service. Oh, boy. So I obtained that one legally, but no, the Bad Out of Hell in fact, <laughs> legally, I it's but the in a very strange way. Yes. BMG. Yes, in a very very 90s very 90s way. Very 90s way. But but anyway, who's that girl? I had it on cassette in the summer of 1987 that song i there are a handful of songs that to me are just summer of 1987 but uh-huh. madonna who's that girl along with the rest of the soundtrack right. um including the guy who plays raul cody mundy is right. uh on the soundtrack as well i think he does the el coco loco is uh okay is is I mean, there's a lot of great. There's a, a, a Scritty Politty song which I always enjoy. Some good Scritty Politty. Hard to be hard to have a frown on your face when you're listening to Scritty Politty. Uh, okay, and if fair you have enough. no idea what I'm talking about, just go on your Spotify, find Scritty Politty, and you'll be smiling in no time. There you go. Okay. But yes, a wonderful soundtrack, and I hear it. I hear who's that girl, and it just it takes me back, and it it just. It also takes me back to that time where movie soundtracks were such a big deal. And a summer of 87 uh, was a big, big time for that. But yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun movie. It it is. Oh, you know what? Another, I have to bring up another coincidence. Okay. I'm big on the studio connections here today. Um, So I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know what? Warner Brothers also did Disorderlies the same oh. summer. Another <laughs> oh, uh, the same summer. A, a pop crossover and kind of along the lines of you know the the quote unquote snobs meet the slobs, right? Uh, yeah. Which this is you know to an extent you've got uh, you know that you've got the very upscale Scarsdale uh, scenes and you also have right. the kind of cartoonish. Uh, the cartoonishly criminal Harlem. That's something that I wanted to bring up is how uh, racially out of touch this movie is. I, you know, there's certainly this stigma that comes with uh, the word Harlem uh, that I 
feel like now is beginning to dissipate a little bit, but certainly in any type of like popular culture, when you say Harlem, it gets your mind directly to crime. Um, and it's because of, you know, African-American population in that area. And I, uh, well, and it, it gave me a really, the, it's because of the, not, I, and like, it, it's, it's because also a lot about a lot of the sensational media and especially unless you lived in New York yeah. in the 1980s, anything you saw coming out of there was about, especially about Harlem and the Bronx was, uh, it was drugs. It was crap. And like, don't get me wrong. There's definitely, uh, um, a, a concentration of that in, in the city, but right. not. I, I would say not unlike any other city and like also not unlike the suburbs. It's just more covered up in the suburbs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, it really bothered me when that that scene in Harlem comes up and it's just like the car is being dismantled right in front of them. And well, and there's also like it, there's cars on the side. And, and by the way, like the street is empty in the middle of the day, which anyone uh-huh. who's ever been to, I mean, God, almost any well i live in seattle and that's that you can see that in seattle but in new york in harlem like it's not a quiet like there's always people hanging out but it's uh-huh. more it's more like like die like die hard with a vengeance and right you know right. where it is a neighborhood and it's just yeah. a neighbor it's a city neighborhood um and uh, I mean, as and especially now, like it's a much more diverse population in in right. Harlem. Yeah. So it, you know, it, yeah, it, it's cartoonish. It's also kind of par for the course with uh, movies pre. I mean, pre two thousands. Uh huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like after that, I mean, it would be the same thing about it's like the same thing with, you know, you could do the same thing with like St. Louis or Detroit and yeah. it the same stereotypes, the same stereotypical jokes. And um, yeah, no, that that doesn't hold up as much. There is at the end a I don't know from a certain perspective. So the the, the two cops at the end oh, after yeah, they there and they are by the way they they are to make a Beverly Hills cop reference Taggart and Rosewood light uh, oh very light so but but very much like that pair of cops the more new agey younger cop and like the grumpy older cop who has an awful diet yeah. uh and at the end they you know they have all of this you know ten, like tension throughout and this is not out of nowhere like they do kind of build up to it but at the end they they seemingly are are in love and which it's kind of like it's it's for 1987 progressive to a point but then when you have the thug strapped to the top of the car like making like vomity sounds yeah it, that's where it kind of falls into that 80s like totally gay panic yeah yeah i uh, it's uh, it's unnecessary and completely uncalled for and uh ineffective and forgettable it's and being done for the laugh like it's, it's being be- done for the laugh and it's yeah. uh, now it's a groan you know uh, it probably got laughs at the time but it is certainly a groan yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, and it's like, it's kind of, it's almost, it's kind of like almost there. Like when you, and I like, I, I knew it was coming and 
I had forgotten about that part. No, I, I knew it was coming because they have those moments like when they're bickering and you have like when he gets him the new agey like salad to eat. And right. when he talks about like applying for a transfer to a different, uh, you know, get, get a different partner. It it, it was, it, you know, it, I remembered it. I don't know that if I hadn't seen it before, I would have necessarily seen that coming. Yeah. But it's just unnecessary. It's also like these are two side characters and they're there. They're there to basically like help some exposition and keep the stakes high and keep the chase going. Right. Keep the chase going. You can't stay on Madonna and Griffin Dunn the entire time. No, I mean, although, um, you know, they I, I really I liked their chemistry. I thought for two kind of for two mismatched personalities which i know is the point uh they had a good i think it i think honestly a lot of it's i mean it speaks to both of their their talent i don't know if they had natural chemistry right and by the way uh they're played by uh robert swan and drew pillsbury ah yes yes thank you for noting a couple of other by the way a couple of uh of other familiar faces that pop up earlier uh that pop up early in the movie um, one of them who I would say most people would know his face, but not his name. That would be Mike Starr, who mm-hmm. he plays one of the dock workers, the one who really yeah. doesn't say anything. Uh, you would know him from, uh, I, I think of him as like, he's an Ed Wood. He's the, uh, he's, isn't he like the owner of the B movie studio that like hires Ed Wood to yeah, make I think so. Glenn or Glenda. Yeah. He's like, he's that he's he's uh you know him if you saw him i i can't off the top of my head think of more I, uh goodfellas goodfellas he's the guy who works for lutanza security uh-huh or the security at the airport and helps yeah, them it's pull a that off. familiar character actor you know and and the his his co-worker at the dock is none other than mr stanley tucci first on-screen role maybe is his first on-screen role? i think something like that first uh First movie. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. think he has any lines. He's just there. Tucci speaks. Mike Starr does not. Oh, Tucci does speak. Tucci's I, the one who talks, yeah. It's hard to remember. That was, yeah. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to somebody who's in this, uh, Sean Sullivan. He plays the gun dealer, who oh. is, uh, in, he's incredible playing this very like twitchy guy. Um, but people would recognize him as uh, he played... Phil in Wayne's World, the guy who is going to spew. Oh. Uh, and yeah, so he's just kind of one of their buddies. I, and, I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't. And I, also, didn't Dan, he is in a certain movie called Ski Patrol as Suicide. Oh, he's Suicide. Okay, yeah. great. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. So the, that's the Sean Sullivan. Reckless snowboarder. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, some of the other people that we have, we have Haviland Morris, who plays Wendy, uh, Loudon's fiance. <laughs> She's really good. <laughs> She's so good, uh, who we we learned throughout the movie that uh, seems to like to sleep with cab drivers. Has a thing for cab drivers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I like... <laughs> That's another gag that, like, I don't know. I guess I couldn't really judge how well it's aged, but it's one of the things that I associate with this movie. And really, I still I laughed. Oh, yeah, I had her in my cab. I I mean, it <laughs> built. It's a it's a bit that builds really nicely. Yeah. To the I love when the ah any friend of Wendy's. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you, Wendy Worthington? Nah, she's not your type. Right. <laughs> I had her in the cab. Well, just because you gave her a ride. I didn't say I gave her a ride. I said I had her in yeah. the cab. <laughs> I love her in the, um, the Rasta, Rastafarian. Right. Uh, and then, of course, the old, he's like that same old guy that you always see pop up on sitcoms in the 80s and movies who says something witty and cute and funny and- Oh, this is the Worthington place. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. I do have to call out one moment of the movie that I really, really liked. And it's um, just to set things up a little bit there. The um, Wendy and all the bridesmaids get kidnapped because it's their wedding day. And uh, they're uh, kind of just like hanging out of the back of a car or whatever. And you just go to this one scene where it's just these like motorcycle cops sitting around having a chat about not being able to meet women. And some of the guys are like, I'm just so tired of the bar scene. And it's just like, I even got so desperate. I tried a dating service. And, you know, just like it's just these cops talking about how their love lives are, you know, just like uh, in shambles and stuff. But and in then, like a very open and sensitive way. In a very way. open and sensitive way. And then this car drives by with these women <laughs> tie, bundled together. Sticking out of the yeah. sunroof. It's so good. Uh, that So that moment I really liked. So however that had to come about, I enjoyed that. No, that was really good. I, the sincerity I, with which they said those lines was just amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really... And then there's just some weird, random, bizarre stuff, like when, like with the tiger in Montgomery Bell, the wealthy... Right, the, the client. Guy, he bought up a city block and, and built a rainforest uh, yeah. on, on the roof and has some, uh, like, I don't know, he... I, this is he gets a little bit I don't know sex trafficking I don't know he's got some he's got a woman living up there yes on on the roof which one of the other reviews I saw on Letterboxd was like what's with the crazy jungle lady that lives on the roof who's that girl oh <laughs> like, good point she just kind of comes out of nowhere and and leads him off but you know it's funny it doesn't I'm I'm making light of something I shouldn't make light of no 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 but, yeah I, uh, I get it. It, it yeah. does not, yeah, it does not come off, uh, it, it doesn't come off like that, and it, it's it's a really nice scene, and it's it, it, it's a scene it's that- It's a very bizarre scene. It's a very bizarre scene. It's also a scene that kind of allows M Madonna to drop the, you know, the cartoonish, like the Julie Holiday right, act yeah. for, for a little bit, and- um, you know, just kind of show a, a little bit more uh, depth and range to her, yeah. to her character. Um, so there's there's a lot of fun in this movie. There's a yeah, there's definitely some some weirdness, uh, and <laughs> to say the least. And, and it's very goofy, but like there's some great running the the car horn running gag. Oh yeah, the start spreading the news car horn that eventually yeah. just like the car just collapses. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance, but when they when uh, Mister Worthington is going over the prenup with with Loudon, he oh, flips yeah. several pages, and they all say like all the only words I could make out were capital punishment. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, the the prenup is fascinating. There's a lot of illustrations in it of uh, things that he is 
not allowed to do things that uh, Wendy could only be seen doing in a cab, probably. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's just very silly. And I mean, big ups to 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 Griffin Dunn and to Madonna for, you know, going for it. And it's it's memorable. I'm sure that anybody else who grew up with it in the same way that we did at least remembers it in some sort of way. Uh, it was the it was a movie that when the aforementioned brother Scott of ours, um, you know, when I mentioned it to him, he was like, I don't I've never seen it. And I was like, trust me, you've seen it. Like if you saw if you started watching it, you'd be like, oh, my God, it's all coming back to me. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Scott is uh, not like us. Scott is on record as having the largest collection of pizza boxes in the known universe and right. uh, therefore had to clear out some room in his brain. Uh, yes. The type of room that John and I use for, you know, this type of thing. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it made an impression. It's a movie that really stands out in my mind really clearly and that I really enjoyed watching. And, you know, it was like, I was, I was kind of thinking like, uh, cause it's not streaming anywhere and you have to no. either rent it or just buy a digital copy. And I, I think there was a $5 difference between the two. And I definitely thought to myself, uh, I might, I might plunk down the extra five to, <laughs> you know, have this to watch, uh, you know, beyond the next 48 hours. But, uh, which I didn't, but honestly, it's, yeah. it's, the I, type I can't of thing see I'd myself watch watching it ever again, to be honest. Yeah. But that leads me to a question, Dan. Oh yeah. If you were to bring it back these days to maybe watch <laughs> something in that, in that ilk again, Oh, what would you do? I'd remake the shit out of this. Okay. I would, I would, I, and I just kind of threw to get, like, there's some jokes, like, imagine, he's got that alarm watch that goes off every time he's got a right. new appointment. So imagine that with a with a smartphone and how much more, like, you just amp that up. You could easily drop, like, you don't need to keep everything. You could change a lot about it. You could swap you could swap the genders. You could do all sorts of things with it. You could take out the, st- you could leave in the stuff that, I mean, hell leave in the, I had her in the, I had her in the cab. I had her in the Uber, whatever. Update uh-huh. it. Uh, it, so you could, you know, you could do that. You could take out the stuff that didn't work. You could focus on the stuff that did work. I was thinking about names to throw into this and I was just, just kind of uh, spitballing, but I thought as a as a modern day Loudon, I thought Kumail Nanjiani would be uh, could could pull that off. No sweat. I thought Charlie Day was uh, Charlie Day was another one that kind of popped into mind. I thought as Nikki, uh, Aquafina would be uh, a funny Nikki. Aquafina would be a really fun Nikki. Aquafina would be a great Nikki. I thought like if you were trying to if you were trying to remake this also with the idea of saying like let's put a star in it. I don't I know I know so little about her but like maybe a Billie Eilish like this seems like the type of thing I could see her doing like Miley Cyrus act a Miley Cyrus uh you know definitely definitely could do this. We know she she acts. Uh so yeah, those were just a few of the names that I thought about. And I think it's it's really just it's about those two. And I mean, otherwise, you're you're not necessarily like 
you're not it's not like who's that girl was the first time this had been done. I mean, no, it's it's a nod to old like, you know, screwball romantic comedies. Right. Mm-hmm. So why not bring it back? But I, I, I just I also like the I would like the idea of if we're going to remake uh uh, like a very 80s romantic comedy, I would like it remade kind of like it was still the 80s. <laughs> right. You know, uh, a lot of nice cuts. I would, you know, maybe uh, this time do some do some work in post to make sure that the bus ride from New York to Philly doesn't look like it's going through uh, Southern California. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I I picked up on that, too. You just see all the mountains and the sunset in the background. You're like, that's Southern California. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, Dan, I would actually go sequel. sequel. I would say, you know, all these years later, I'd love to revisit Madonna and Griffin Dunn. Uh, Griffin Dunn, who had recently been on uh, Succession. He did a little uh, pop-up role in, in Succession. Uh, and I think that it could be the kind of thing where it's like, you know, they've both kind of uh, become more uptight. You know, Madonna has, you know, certainly uh, wavered back and forth on, you know, her persona a lot lately. But I feel like she'd be really good. You know, we haven't. When's the last time we saw her in a movie? I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Die another day. I don't know. And that was, <laughs> she was just in it for like right. five minutes. Yeah. If that. So would you have it be, I'm sorry, you're probably not done. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then maybe somebody from like her past comes back, like something from her past comes back to haunt her and, um, and, yeah. And it kind of forces them to have to kind of get out and go on some sort of crazy day long. Like adventure. find, find their wild side again. Yeah. I like that. You could, I mean, I know it's kind of cliche. You could always do like, you know, they have a kid and the kid ends up in some situation and then they need to, or the kid's the wild one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you, are you, are, are we bringing back the tiger? Oh, there's got to be some sort of animal. I mean, certainly Murray is off doing other things or nothing at all. <laughs> I don't know the lifespan of, of such a creature. Yeah, but, no, uh, probably n- nothing at all. Yeah, probably, probably more, nothing at all. More yeah. accurate there. So, I'm looking up to see when the last movie Madonna was was in, and well, she's got so many soundtrack credits. IMDb makes it difficult. Yeah. Okay. But yes, that's what I would. That's what I would do. I would remake it. I would even be down for like some remakes of the soundtrack, even a straight up like soundtrack remake, like track by track, different. That's bands. fun. I mean, like that's the whole thing with this movie. Yeah. It was such a cross promotional thing. Why, why not? Why not do a whole? And I mean, I know it's a bit too late, but it's celebrating its 35th anniversary this that's year. Right. So it would be fun. And this could totally be. This could be like an HBO Max thing. It doesn't it have to be. Yeah, but it would be a fun summer. It would be like it would be a fun summer summer movie to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd be Dan, down for it. Dan, I, I, the rest of this month, what we've been doing in, in order to indicate what the next movie is going to be is something that we weren't really able to do on this one. What we were doing is we were trying to sneak in uh, cleverly the title of the movie or uh, derivations thereof throughout the episode to get people guessing. Yeah, we, we were pretty silent on that. 
we were pretty silent on that. Um, and but, yeah, and when we didn't, you know what though? Because some things that we didn't talk about in that silence, a couple of things that we didn't cover is how much this movie is about going on the lamb. Going on the lamb. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Dan, uh, why don't you tell everybody <laughs> about uh, our next month of movies and what we're going to be starting off with? So next month we are we're we're switching the lower the direction of the lowercase letter in February in February the lowercase b we're making it a d it's going to be February and we're doing movies that that involve the FBI there is FBI yes. involved and by the we mean the Federal Bureau of Investigation not female and body investigators um, or full-blooded Italians but uh, <laughs> this movies uh, Dan, have you been to the Jersey Shore recently <laughs> t-shirts I needed stands. some t-shirts I needed some t-shirts uh, and yeah no uh, so we're gonna be talk we're gonna kick off uh, February uh, February with a uh, a movie that celebrated its 30th anniversary last February. Yeah. And that would be the Academy Award winning thriller Silence of the Lambs. Right. And that's going to be a complicated one because there are so many other movies and TV shows that follow along that legacy. It itself is a sequel, right? Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And w- yeah, we'll we'll get into this, and I'm sure we'll touch on the other ones. We are gonna we're gonna focus our efforts here on Silence of the Lambs. That does not mean you will not hear talk of Hannibal, either the film or the 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 television, television program, uh, Red Dragon, Manhunter, uh, yeah. two adaptations of the same book, uh, Hannibal Rising, yeah, so on and so forth. Right. Well. Dan, as you are zipping around town in a Rolls Royce trying to get a woman and a tiger where they're supposed to be, I wish you a good journey. Good journey, John, and no tricks. Tricks! Tricks!